0: This is Aliens and Artists, Episode 1, Part 1, featuring Nadine Lailich. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Nadine Lealich entered ufology reluctantly and with great skepticism in 2004 after having kept secret for 15 years her own experiences of contact. The information collected throughout dozens of her experiences have presented an intriguing case for alien abduction and military intervention worthy of serious study. A portion of her story was shared in the book Alien Experiences, 25 Cases of Close Encounters, which she co-authored with researcher Barbara Lamb. Her new book Alien Experiences Book 2, Evolution, coming to terms with the extraterrestrial presence Chronicles her story in great detail with illustrations and photos, along with her current hypothesis regarding the phenomenon. Nadine is also an artist and a creator of a television animated series, which we will link in the show notes.
1: I was not fully aware of my contact experience with uh, extraterrestrials until an overwhelming, uh, earth-shattering encounter that took place uh, in Sedona, Arizona. And that was uh, many moons ago, uh, back in um, the uh, June of 1991, and camping in Oak Creek Canyon with a friend. We had driven out, I was living in California. We drove out from California to uh, spend a long weekend in Sedona hiking in the vortexes. And that first night on the way down, we had started out kind of late, so we pulled over to sleep in the van in an abandoned day camp area, really not meant for overnight camping. It was empty; there was no facilities there other than an outhouse and As we started setting up a small camp for the evening, I had an overwhelming sense that I was being watched. There were no cars or people in the area. I think the whole the whole site might have had about 12, 14 spaces for parking. But again, it was extremely rustic. No electricity. And um, uh, we went to bed. I went to bed first. We laid our, all of our material, all of our personal belongings, all of our camping food. We set it out on the picnic table, uh, laid our, our sleeping bags in the back. I went to bed first. She, I, she came in a little while later. And it was probably around 11 o'clock, 11.30, we were both sleeping, and I awoke to some sounds outside the van. And I was concerned, obviously, because we were in a remote area, two women by themselves, and um, so I sat up and listened to what sounded like people walking around the outside of the van. They were um, kind of shuffling their feet. And I just stood up, rather than stood up, I sat up on top of my sleeping bag, just kind of monitor the sounds when all of a sudden the back of the van opened up it was a Toyota van and the back door would swing upward and the light came on blinding me and the next thing I saw was a hand reaching towards me with three fingers and a thumb it was very thin very gray like and um, that was my introduction to Ongoing events in my life. In that scenario, it was very uh, traumatizing, shocking, adrenaline running through the body, a lot of a lot of fear. So I had some very clear recollections while that was taking place. Um, I lost a few seconds of consciousness. Found myself standing at the back of the van. The door was over my head. The light was still shining on. I was uh, paralyzed in a manner that I was standing upright, my arms to my side, but I could not raise my chin from my chest. I could not look upward. To the side of me was what the time I thought was two small children, approximately five years old, who didn't have any hair. And I, that's the only interpretation I had. I had no reference point then, um, as it was, not, um, it was not one of my preoccupations, ETs. UFOs. If you had asked me at that stage in my life whether or not I thought there was life in the universe, I would have said yes. Probably. It just seemed logical. We're not alone. And I had read some science fiction when I was a young girl. I liked science fiction. I'd seen a couple of movies, but that was pretty much it. certainly wasn't something that I dwelled upon. Anyway, that recollection was... um, uh in that moment, uh, just just very traumatizing. And when I was standing at the back of the van, I knew someone else was standing in front of me, much more powerful, much bigger. I could sense it, although I couldn't lift my head to see them. The next thing I realized, I was lit, being lifted off the ground five or six inches. And when I could see down to the left and right of me, all I could see is these two quote unquote children had their hands underneath mine, but not touching, almost cupping their hands. So apparently there was some kind of energy they were able to emit to lift me upward. And we began to move forward. And I could see the ground beneath me, beneath my feet as we moved. I could see the dirt. I could see, you know, some light. But as we kept moving, we moved into a darker area. And uh, something kept hitting my face. And I couldn't move to... um, evade whatever it was. And um, I had another blackout at that point. The next recollection that I have is of a sense of being dropped through the air, probably where I bounced, like almost as though I had come straight through the top of the van, and I was dropped onto my sleeping bag to such an extent that I actually bounced probably eight, 10 inches off the surface of the sleeping bag. So there was some momentum to that. And I had a recollection full of what had happened, uh, initiating when, when I'd heard the sounds throughout the period of uh, being taken out of the van and moving through the apparently the path. So it was all a full recollection there. Anyway, that was my introduction. And that began um, a, a series over a number of years of conscious experiences um, and some that uh, had other varieties to them, uh, that, that seemed like more like dreams, um, astral projections, different things began to happen, but I was no longer asleep. That was an event that just woke me up to the reality of my life. Later on, I would find out as my, um, as my, um, subconscious was willing to release more information to me i it became apparent that i was a lifelong experiencer
0: so it's 1991 when that event occurs but do you think it's fair to characterize it as though that event in 91 sent ripples forward and backward in time because the previous contact experiences in your life began to be unearthed so to speak
1: well absolutely because that was a that was a, a a break in my reality, and knows that, that kind of a moment when you have something outside of the normal, which you consider normal realm. Your whole world in reality begins, and you've had an experience. You talked about the mantis encounter. All of a sudden, your world is bigger. It's a lot bigger. The possibilities are greater. Your whole sense of reality shifts dramatically. So. You know, it's interesting when things happen to us, so many times we take them as individual. You'll say, oh, that was just a one experience. And then later on, something else unusual happens, and that's a singular experience. What happened here is that there were a lot of those singular experiences as I was growing up as a child um, that could have related to ET contact. I had no awareness of it, so I processed it in a different way. I called it different things. You you take it and you tuck it away. You know, you sit it back there until pretty soon you have this event, and you begin to become educated as time went on. I begin to have more experience, begin to see this phenomenon taking place in my life. Of course, I'm expanding forward and backwards in time. All of a sudden, those things that happen,s click, 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 begin to make dif- make a different. Um, you know, picture in my mind, suddenly it means something else.
0: What are some developmental snapshots from your life and how your worldview has changed through this process? Um, in what ways do these contact experiences alter, accelerate or inhibit human development according to your experiences?
1: Well, there's no doubt it accelerates your growth on all levels, psychological, emotional, spiritual, absolutely. Okay. The whole universe expands. Um, It becomes multidimensional all of a sudden. Now, um, for example, um, and I talk about this in my book, Evolution, there was an experience where I woke up and i was um my family was just mother father and my older brother was five years older than me and usually i would go to bed a little earlier like around nine o'clock while i wake up and um at the time i am um, nine or ten years old and i get up and I hear some sounds in the living room and I go into the living room. It's a very small house we lived in. I walked down the hallway and I see the three of them slumped over on the couches in the living room. And in those days, um, they used to, when the television stations went off air, they had this sound that would come off of the TV. They presented this little um, uh, decoration on the TV and and this sound would be buzzing. And that meant they were gone for the day. The, they were off air. And I come in there and it's summertime and the screen door is uh, closed, but the front door is open. So, and they are completely out, completely out. And, um, it was a very surrealistic feeling walking into that room. And then I recognize that there is someone outside in the front. Now, this particular episode was the way that I would identify it at the time is that even at that age, I was telling myself it had to be a dream, it had to be a dream, it had to be a dream. In, in essence, what happened is that someone came in the front door. Now, this is a different, uh, the only time um, that I saw this type of entity. And this was an absolute beyond a shadow of a doubt um, interaction where I, it was a healing interaction. Now, in those days, I grew up in a very um, tumultuous alcoholic environment. My father was an alcoholic. So it was a, um, a fairly uh, fairly crazy environment. Okay. You you kind of hung on by your fingers to get through it. And um I had a lot of. By that time, I had a lot of the emotional turmoil myself. Um, I was very aware that I couldn't leave the house. This was all there was, and I just needed to get through my childhood. And so uh, that was kind of the, the state I was in emotionally at that age as a child. Very creative, and that was my life saving force when we get back to creativity. But it was a it was a difficult childhood in this event this particular character that looked very much like a um, an elf. There's also uh, Hopkins uh, UFO events. It's an unusual looking entity with long pointed ears, a wide mouth, um, short, about four and a half, five feet tall. Anyway, comes in the front door, walks me into our kitchen and sets me down in a chair. And um, now again, at that stage, I'm in my mind um, when I, w- you know, the next day I'm telling myself this was a dream that happened. Uh, ultimately, he did a particular procedure telepathically by touching my mind, where he actually was like you see the old uh, Star Trek movies where uh, uh, Spock would he would connect with somebody and go into their mind. That's what this entity did to me. He actually went into my mind. It was like two people in your body at one time. And he was holding onto my head, my forehead, the back of my head and the front of my head. And he was inside my mind. And it was shocking on one regard because, in in one way, because he could see everything. Everything that had ever happened to me. Everything that I was feeling. The And, and I was very aware of that while it was happening. And then he did something else because I, I threw my head back, let out this terrible scream. But as I was, I could feel the, um, the sadness, the pain, the emotional pain my, of my life dissipating. And it was though he came into my life and was able to bring me back to balance that enabled me to survive the rest of those years until I got out of the house. And it was really a positive experience, an amazing experience. But the next day I told myself it had to be a dream. It couldn't have been real. You know, what well, could that be? I, at, at that age, I could not find any other thing. And and we did not, you know, in the household and at that time, this would have been in mid-60s, we really didn't discuss extraterrestrials or any of that, that uh, phenomenon. But, of course, years later... Um, while well, I was well into these events by the mid-late 90s, I was having nonstop occurrences. I was able to look back and see events such as those, the one I just described, and understand what had happened. And that was probably the most positive um, you know impact I had from any of my ET encounters.
0: I just wonder about the difference between their lifespan and ours. And how that might affect the short window that we may have where we can have a chance of understanding this enigma when we're mature enough or deep enough to understand the nature of what this is.
1: You know, it's like if we look at the number of, of, of um, you know, the number of races we have on our planet and, and the, where the cultures develop differently, right? There's so many different cultures on this planet. Okay. And and each of those cultures, which is conditioning, emotional, mental, psychological conditioning, spiritual conditioning, they are viewing in their own little way, right? Well, I believe the same thing is now if you're gonna talk about, for example, there's been a good ten or twelve. In the book I did not share everything. Okay. Some of those some of the experiences I did not put in my recent book. I, I for certain I kept certain reservations. Anyway, the point is, is that there's 10 or 12 that have entered into my life in one way or the other. And I do believe that they have different agendas. So it depends on who you're talking about. Now you could talk about this particular elf type of being that came and it was all about compassion. All about compassion. Um, The contacts, if you're talking about with the mantis now I have only seen one mantis repeatedly throughout the years, and this mantis apparently is all uh, um, seems to have a a positive attitude towards me, an interest in me that goes deeper than any of the others that I've seen. I think that a number of the races I have connected, and there's so many different you know, so many different um, arguments about why are they here? What are they doing? Why the hybrids, all of that. First of all, you know, I think you go back to the overall thing. It's, I think we're seated. Okay. I think mm-hmm. our race is seated. And I think that although there is some of the, uh, the hybrid thing going on now. Okay. And, and they are producing hybrids, different types of hybrids. I do think that what may be happening overall and the greatest, possibility with a number of races is that they're trying to get the violence out of us. They're trying to, because, we, you know, we are spiritual beings living in these, you know, we are living in these, uh, these outer garments of these bodies and, but we're spiritual beings. And we may keep recycling and coming back into these particular beings as a human being. We may not. We may be done with this and move somewhere else. But I think that there are certain species that are working with our containers, the humanity, the conditioning that's in there, the way our brain functions, certain things. That being said, a lot of the experiences have been genetically altered. I do believe I've been genetically altered. I do believe my father was genetically altered and my grandfather. Okay? And so I believe on that side of the family, there is a whole line of genetic alterations that have happened. Okay? So I think there is consciousness when they begin to interact with a certain genetic line of humans.
0: And so, for instance, this mantis entity that you've had a personal relationship with, which recognizes you as an individual, that particular mantis entity might have been in contact with your family bloodline going back many generations? That one entity living perhaps thousands of years might work with many generations of a family in a long-term relationship?
1: I would think so. Okay. Um, I, I would think so. Now, there, there, this particular entity, this particular mantis is very connected to me. I'm very connected to him. How I know he's a male, I have no idea. But he's very connected to me. And it's been throughout my experiences. Now, I do not have any specific recollections of him appearing during childhood, not specifically, but through many other instances. And the tone of those interactions, when I have experienced interaction with him, it is transpired in an environment where there are other species around tall whites uh, the short and the tall grays Um, there have been other entities that have been present when he's been with me there's it's always been around some kind of testing and training and it's always been about him trying to show them things about me now would that be the whole genetic line probably probably
0: Which also speaks to a non-uniformity among the various entities. If this one particular mantis is advocating for you in different contexts, it implies there's not necessarily a consensus among these beings, and the population is not monolithic. Something is still up in the air about how this will unfold
1: well you know if you're going to talk about the, and now i i've met other experiences of course and for example they run into different types of beings like the nordics or um what are the other ones they call the blues the blues or the nordics that apparently from the way people describe them they have higher spiritual aspirations it all depends who you're running into i suppose now for whatever reason i have run into the the, uh, a lot of the whites, the tall whites. Um, I've run into the reptilians. That's a whole nother story. Okay. So, this particular entity, this man, this mantis, the feeling that I get is that he's a scientist. Okay. Now, he has an overwhelming degree of compassion and interest in humanity, period. Okay. I feel that I know that somehow. Um, but he also is you has used me as an example in different scenarios around these other species, because what what I pick up is a disregard from some of the other species. They disregard the value of humanity, but there are some that feel quite differently. They know the potential, you know, um, And so that connection, I think, has been a very important connection, almost like a a mentor, if you would, or Mm. um, a mentor, a protector also, but all positive. I've heard some people don't have good feelings about mantis, but I have nothing but positive feeling about the mantis.
0: Let's circle back to when you were young and how important creativity was. I think you even used the phrase life-saving. Can you take us into your early creative experiences and why they were so important?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, All right. Now, the book I'm working on now um, is called Surviving Richmond Street. All right. It's not specifically focusing on ETs. It's it's focusing on, um, well, here's the title, Surviving Richmond Street, Inspirational Stories of Divine Intervention, Creative Liberation, and Soulful Recovery. Hmm. Now, the as a child, I, I needed to create my own world. The world that I was in wasn't working. It wasn't a place that was going to allow me uh, to be who I needed to be. So very early on, I began to develop characters. Now, you've probably never seen it, but I have a separate whole separate world of cartooning. So I've been an animator and I do cartooning and I've written children's books. And um, one of my uh, projects is working on a children's animated television show. And so early on, I began to draw these characters and it would allow me, my art was vital to me as a child, absolutely vital, it was like breathing. And I was creating at a very early age, and um, drawing was very important to me. I did a lot of uh, 3D um, paper. I had an aunt who worked for a paper company. She was kind of more like a pseudo mother. I'll back up for a second, which is kind of interesting. My father had a 162 IQ, and my mother had Asperger's. (laughs) So she had a very, very low IQ, and she wasn't present. And then you have this phenomenal, phenomenal. Intellect that my father had. It was mind boggling. And he was also very, very creative. Um, but anyway, it was an interesting place. So I created this world and I began to cartoon early on. Now, if you were to look at my comic strip, which is Hug Bandit and Company, what you're going to see all of the characters that have been created look like little aliens. And I have 19 characters and they began in my childhood. Now, that would be a very interesting possibility uh, to ponder, is that the contacts that I had as a child with the ETs, which I believe had been through my whole life, seemed to have manifested in my cartooning. And they all have very specific, very uh, defined personalities. And so very early on, I started cartooning when I was four and five years old, and it was a huge focus, daily focus. And um, I created this world that I lived in. And um, it was an amazing world, absolutely amazing world. And uh, they became my friends. They became my confidants. And if there was something missing in my real world, I was able to create it in a cartoon. And um, they stayed with me throughout my life. And by the time I was... Um, You know, 18, 20 years old, I was working very, very diligently trying to develop cartoon strips with them. And it took many, many years. Um, A lot of different things happened in my life, but ultimately around 2000, the year 2000, everything fully manifested that whole comic strip. But if you looked at the characters, what you would see would be very easily to interpret them as aliens, which is kind of interesting. But it was a world that I lived in. 50% Fifty percent of the time. And so I found my I found my my um, my footing in life, through my art and through learning in school. I was a straight A student and I just gravitated to learning and reading and working on my art, and it got me through.
0: What level of interest do you think the various entities have in your creativity? Maybe even take them one by one, a tall white versus a gray, compared to a mantis, etc. Is art of any interest to them? And if so, what is it to them?
1: Well, again, we go back to the fact that, and this is just my perspective, it depends what species you're dealing with, okay? And I have never observed any kind of what I would consider artistic demonstration, whether it's on a craft whether it's during any interaction. Now, um, you know, they can create, you know, what is creativity? You know, that's an interesting thing. When You're talking about art and creativity. Now, art would be a manifestation of creativity and that art could take all these different forms, okay? You know, especially when you've done it early. You know, my art was so important to me. I, I, I was mentioning my aunt with the, with the paper. Well, what could I do with paper? Well, you would be amazed what I did with paper. I used to build these houses out of paper and then I would take photographs and I would put those photographs. They were they were um, houses that had windows that would open and they were all made out of paper. And then you could look and open the windows and look inside and see the photographs of the people inside against the walls. I took and I made marionette puppets out of just, and all I had because I wasn't given stuff as a child we didn't have anything. We weren't given anything, you know, toys or books or anything like that. But my aunt gave me paper and it was colored paper samples from the company she worked for. And so I turned that paper into all kinds of things. I, I made these puppets out of them where I'd roll paper and take thread and create the legs and the arms and marionette puppets out of it with just the thread and the paper. They were amazing. <laughs> and um, and then I would take, my dream was always, and I did this a few years back, I always wanted to have a ranch. I'm, you know, I'm uh, vegetarian and vegan and I love animals, and I love the earth, and I love growing things. I've got green thumbs, and I always wanted to have land. And as a child, I dreamed of creating this ranch. And in this ranch, there's the creativity again. So how could I manifest this ranch as this little child that, you know, suffering little child needed to create something good that made me happy? And I would take this paper, and I would draw. And I'd draw horses and animals and cows and people. And I would make fences, and I'd make it all 3D. So I would cut it all out and I would take my little bedroom floor and the whole thing would become this ranch. And they were made like paper dolls almost where the the cows and the horses would stand up and the people and I'd make the 3D little houses, everything out of paper. So you'd go in and for weeks I'd have my floor, my bedroom, this ranch made out of paper. (laughs) That's where I wanted to live. And so I made what I wanted, you know. Uh, A few years back, I moved to Arizona. And finally, after all these years of my life, I bought land. I was going off grid. I built a house. I did all the things I wanted to do, right? And and then it was like, wait a minute. (laughs) I'm too old for this. This is too much. This is too much work. My God. The wind blew my fences down. I mean, it was like, it was at the top of this mountain. You had to go wind all the way up to get to the land. And I had a well, I had to drill wells and then no sooner did my well get working. Then the well went dry. Then I had to drill another well. It's like, it was Um. like, so things change as an adult, you know, the child is all that is being like, I want that. Right. well, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so when I had this experience and um, I was trying to draw an analogy because I was sitting at this table, this was during one of my contact experiences, and I believe it appeared that I was on a craft. There was a variety of ETs sitting at a table and everything there is very sparse. It's It's... Nothing is decorative, it's very cold, straight lines, um, nothing extra. So you get a feeling it's a very cerebral environment. And that's what I pick up from most of them, that it's very cerebral. And that perhaps those particular species over time, what they've done, is they have leaned towards left brain development and the right brain has played down as Mm. they evolved. Now, what the mantis does is the mantis, in relation to me, in a number of instances, has pointed out this extra dimension that I have. And mine is particularly developed. Um, I go places creatively. That's why I've appreciated things I've seen on your website. <laughs> because, I, I really, I've been a wild woman creatively in my own life. And a lot of it may not be up on the internet, but it's been the core of who I am and what I am. Vitally mm. important to me. And um actually what the mantis did on this particular occasion, I was trying to, I experienced a moment of anger and in that environment. Now, of course, communication is always telepathic. But in this particular instance, I was so charged because I was, you know, over time you kind of get frustrated because They're controlling you. They're controlling the interactions, everything. And at this particular moment, I actually stood up at this table. I was sitting. I started hollering. I was very angry, and I was trying to define for them what they are missing because they've developed a different way. These particular species, and I was trying to define it. And the mantis was in connection with me, sitting across from me. And as I was trying to define how our our um, see, emotional development is absolutely critical to creative development. You know, we know our emotional side is volatile and wild and needs to be controlled. You know, we can love people. We can kill people. I mean, the, the potential is, can go anywhere. But ultimately, in its highest fashion, it's visionary. And the art can become visionary. It can transform lives. You know, you can look at a picture. Watch a movie, hear a sound, a song, and, and your world can turn around. It can totally turn around. In this event, this particular situation, I was trying to define how, what emotions do for us, how it colors our world. And he manifested this hologram right over my head. And the hologram showed all these images in it. Of color and moving and swirls and it was perfect because I know the mantis got what I was trying to say and that's what the mantis I feel like the mantis is trying to defend us and place us in a higher um, you know a higher category to make us you know more respected that humanity Mm. should be respected in a greater way amongst the universe
0: Wow two things come up hearing that. One is whether the telepathic facet of communication might play a role in the absence of ornamental objects in their environs. Uh, When a species becomes telepathic, does that change the rules about what an individual is allowed to bring into the shared psychic environment?
1: Well, you're talking again about a soul, an entity, regardless of what body they're occupying and that entity that soul is going to be developing on all these different levels right emotional psychological physical and spiritual on all these levels so the point is i can control my spirit i can control my creativity okay i can um i mean what's our what is our our ultimate goal should be being grounded spiritually Understanding your connection to the universe, to life, to the the field of infinite possibility, to the creative nature of the creator of all, which is an energy to me—a loving, intelligent, creative energy. We're in this matrix of this amazing, loving, creative energy right now. As I ground myself in that and I reach out to create, I can at any moment slow myself down. It's when it runs rampant. Um, I think that you have to develop on all levels fairly simultaneously in order to control those creative impulses, what we build, what we project. Um, When I look at some of those ETs that I've had these contacts with, I feel as though, now, does that, the fact that it's telepathy, does that limit it? It could, but there should still be some kind of manifestation. You would still think there'd be some kind of manifestation of that other aspect of them, their spiritual aspect, their creative aspect. That should somehow manifest in their environment. Now, it does in their crafts, but... If, for example, you know, they're finding over time that they believe a lot of these, uh, the ET crafts are actually living conscious um, capsules. Whereas, and what they find is that the ETs place their hands on a certain console and they're actually connecting with with a biological intelligence inherently built within the craft. So it's more than just metal or, you know, um, uh, dead material. They're finding that um, they can connect in that way. Um, so the, the creativity is there, but and you can see it in some ways like that. that that's definitely creative. But you would think that you would see it elsewhere. I think that they are baffled by us in many ways. They're baffled by the fact of, say, we'll go back to art, where art comes from. Okay, why is there no art that we can see in in these interactions with certain species? Why is there no art? Why is everything sterile, silver, gray, white? Even the light that emanates like, from the tables and the chairs, it, you can never really see in these crafts where the light comes from. It's, it's very diffused. And why not more color? Okay, If you look at the clothing, some of them wear clothing. And um, it's very similar. Robe-like. Uh, the colors are very, very neutral. don't see a vibrancy there? Does it say it doesn't exist? Does the telepathy hide it? Maybe. But I still kind of would think, you know, when we create, you're going to see it in our environment. You're going to see it around your house. And so, you know, I, I, I don't have answers to why it is that way, you know.
0: In the fall of 1966, legendary rock band Moody Blues was returning to London after a gig in Carlisle, England. It was around 2 a.m. They were driving on the A6 and all members of the band were completely straight and sober. A bright light suddenly appeared and flashed by their vehicle. The band grew very excited and then the light returned. Member Graham Edge asked that they stop and get a better look. They pulled over and got out of the vehicle. The light continued to move about in a strange manner. Graham Edge would later recall that there was, quote, an odd stillness around us. No road traffic came by in either direction, and there were none of the usual nocturnal animal rustlings or bird noises. It was quite uncanny, and we were mesmerized as if in a dream. The object then landed in the field opposite of the band's vehicle. It was a cigar-shaped craft with low protrusions on top and several dull red lights. Edge reports that as the band studied the object, they became, quote, gripped simultaneously with dread and panic. We rushed back into the car, started perfectly. We drove off and as we looked back, we could still see the object pulsing away in the field. Edge would later state that he became a changed man because of this experience. In fact, the entire band seemed altered. The event changed the direction of their work toward a more cosmic focus. Edge would go on to create several drawings of the vehicle and its occupants. He claimed that the images of the entities inside the craft were somehow deposited into his mind during the experience. Years later, musician Pete Wilshire would say of the Moody Blues' momentous experience that night, What happened, happened, and they all remember it. Another Moody Blues member, Mike Pinder, would later have another UFO encounter, which was detailed in Brad Steiger's book, The Fellowship. The Moody Blues would go on to sell over 70 million records. Hi, Stuart Davis here. If you like the podcast, or if you hate the podcast, the only reasonable response is to become a patron because counter intuition feels wrong. And that's how we know it's working. You're taking action. If you like it, you ensure its continuation. If you don't, you can send me a personal message making suggestions. <laughs> oh, as an artist, I take those suggestions and personally turn them into a collage. I put that collage in a time capsule, and one day, maybe our children's children will open it and find themselves utterly unable to make sense of the creative amalgamation of feedback, so randomly repatterned. Just go to stuartdavis.com, click on the Patreon button, and put a dollar sign on your strong emotions. Thank you for your support or opposition. Be sure to check out part two of Nadine Leilich's appearance on Aliens and Artists. Her new book is Evolution, Coming to Terms with the ET Presence.